Hello and welcome to Complete Caribbean, a Travel Pulse podcast all about the world's favorite warm weather destination, the Caribbean. I'm writer, editor, and Caribbean travel expert, Jet Set Sarah. And I'm Brian Major, managing editor here at Travel Pulse. We're happy to have you join us today as we discuss the ins and the outs of Caribbean travel and we share the latest info and intelligence on this wonderfully diverse region. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of Complete Caribbean. I, I am Sarah Greaves Gabdon, joined by my wonderful co host, Brian Major. How are you, everyone? <laughs> And today is Monday, December 20th. We're really thrilled to have you with us on what will be our final podcast for 2021. And because it's our final podcast, we thought we'd change up the format a little bit. We don't have a guest this time, but instead, Brian and I are just going to be talking to you ourselves about essentially two things. We were lucky enough to go to Anguilla together last week, or was it the week before? The week of December 11th, we were there together, so we want to talk to you all about that. And then we're going to do a sort of retrospective highlights of our favorites in the Caribbean this year and and the biggest stories that we thought were in Caribbean travel this year, too. So let's get started by talking about Anguilla. So I know you've heard Brian and I say this a thousand times, but it really is one of our favorite Caribbean destinations. I I always claim, you know, I always say, gosh, if it wasn't behind the gateway, meaning you have to take two flights to get there. I always say, if it wasn't behind the gateway, I'd be tempted to live in Anguilla. Well, here's the thing. As we told you a few weeks ago, Anguilla is very excited and launched their first U- service from the U.S. mainland into Anguilla on December 11th. And that's why both Brian and I were invited to go and cover it and check out and see what's new in Anguilla also. We had a great time, didn't we, Brian? We had a ball. We had a wonderful time. And we were lucky enough to uh, be there when this uh, was pretty much taking a place. And it was uh, something big for the entire island. Yes, I mean, so for those of you who don't know, generally, if you want to, if, well, before December 11th, if you wanted to fly to Anguilla, you had a few choices to get to Anguilla. You, most people fly into St. Martin, and then they go five minutes across the road to the ferry dock, and they take a really pleasant 30-minute, 25 to 30-minute ferry ride across the water to Anguilla. Alternatively, you could arrive in St. Martin, and you could fly into Anguilla, which takes up until this point, small planes, that's only an eight-minute flight. So by the time you fill in your immigration card, <laughs> it's time to land. Right. Or you could go via um, via San Juan and fly other small airlines into Anguilla too. So this is a big deal now um, that this is the first time you're able to fly from Miami directly into Anguilla beginning December 11th. Right now in December, there are two flights a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. But come January 5th, I believe they'll be adding a fifth, sorry, a third flight. So you'll be able to go for a long weekend or a whole week really easily. And so Brian and I were there on December 11th at the Clayton J. Lloyd International Airport to welcome the first plane that came from Miami into Anguilla. And wasn't it, wasn't it, didn't give you goosebumps, Brian? It gave me, entirely gave me the goosebumps, all of our... Great friends, all of the top government officials, the premier, uh, the minister of tourism was on the flight. Uh, every significant government official was there. The, the top American Airlines officials were there. 
And, uh, you know, they, they, the plane landed and they shot water from fire trucks onto, yes. the, onto the plane itself. I mean, and it came through and there were people lined up outside of the gate of the airport, which is relatively small. And you can see the runway from, uh, from the main road. So uh, it was thrilling. It was it was something really special for us, for both of us. And we, we yeah, we and we're not even Anguillian. That's the thing. You right. didn't have to be Anguillian to share in the pride of that moment. But when that plane landed and it taxied towards us, and as Brian said, there were fire trucks that came out and they spray water on the plane as if it's being christened. You know these arcs of water. It was just. I mean, even now, two weeks later, I get goosebumps thinking about it. It was amazing. Um, and as Brian said, of course, in true Caribbean style, uh, there were lots of speeches. <laughs> there was lots of people talking, people from American Airlines, from Anguillian Tourism, um, you know, but a really nice event. It was a steel pan band because, of course, you can't have a Caribbean. Right. <laughs> you cannot have a right. Caribbean celebration without two things, a steel pan band and a priest to start us off with a prayer. Those are the two essential things. And we had those. And it was a wonderful afternoon. Brian was very lucky. He got to stay on Anguilla after the ceremony. I, however, had come in a day before Brian. So I actually left on the first flight, the first direct flight from Anguilla back to Miami. And I can tell you it was very comfortable. The air, the aircraft is an Embraer 175, which means it takes 175 people. There are 12 seats in business class and the configuration in the back and in the front, actually, is 2-2. So really comfortable. Um, there was no Wi-Fi on the plane. I'm not sure if it was just this first flight or if it's just not available on a plane of that size. But I will say it was a very comfortable trip, two and a half, just under two and a half easy hours back. And it was really nice having not having to go through St. Martin to go home, because, of course, that means that you have to leave so much earlier to get to the ferry dock, to take the, you know, to do the waiting time at the ferry to take the ferry to get from the ferry to St. Martin. You know, it really means that if you're going that way to uh, leaving Anguilla that way, you really have to leave so much earlier. Whereas if you can fly much easier and you can maximize your time on the beach. And I loved it. I thought it was seamless and I will be going back to Anguilla in 2022. And that's how I'm going to be going. Cause of course Miami is my gateway. Yeah. So when you are able to eliminate that extra layer, of um, transportation um, and fly direct, as you mentioned, it just makes it so much, much more convenient, much, especially in these days when, you know, our travel to Anguilla evolved. All of the authorizations we had to uh, complete, all of yes. the testing we had to complete right. with St. Martin, we also had to be cleared through St. Martin. So we had to apply uh, on the St. Martin portal to, uh, to uh, transfer through St. Martin. But I want to mention also that it was just such a special thing for Anguilla and for Anguillians that after Sarah took off and all of the dignitaries were, were, were kind of talking and then started to drift, you know, to their separate places, we left the airport area and there were crowds outside of the airport along the gate, just kind of lining wow, really? and afterward. And like the population, <laughs> turned out, which would bonbonoise us until we, we were there, turned out for this and it was special to everyone. Um, Anguilla is a destination that relies on tourism and the folks made that clear. Um, so it was a big day. Yeah, and I mean, so we, we both spent, even though we didn't cross over for all of those days, we spent what, three full days on the ground in Anguilla. What would you say was your highlight of the trip, Brian? Well, I'm gonna say the highlight for me was the overall experience because Anguilla, it's a unique place. 
it is a luxury destination, no question about it, with mm-hmm. high-end resorts, some of the best resorts really now in the world. But as even as Sarah and I were saying, uh, we noticed as, you, as you're driving around, it doesn't give off the impression of uh, grand cliffs or anything that is especially remarkable outside of beautiful landscapes, Caribbean green landscapes, blue waters, but nothing that stands out as one thing. But it's easygoing nature. It's isolated beaches, these outstanding resorts, which are world-class, five-star resorts, fine dining options, magnificent sunsets. These make it, these kind of combine and make it a treasured spot of relaxation and reflection. And especially in these times, I mean, we went through all of these protocols, Sarah and I got there, and Mm -hmm. I still felt the essence of relaxation and happiness, (laughs) just being in a relaxing place with blue skies and friendly people and great food. So that was my highlight, just being back in Anguilla and the small scale Caribbean experience with some high end touches Mm -hmm. that, you know, that I really enjoyed. It was great. Yeah. You know, I always like to say Anguilla, honestly, honest to God, really is one of my four, my top four favorite islands. And one of the reasons why I love it so much, you know, it's very small. It's um, 35 square miles, 16,000 people. But I always like to say, it's as posh as its sister St. Bart's, which is just eight minutes flight away. But it is not pretentious. You know, right. it's really sort of barefoot, barefoot casual. I love that. The person sitting next to you at the beach bar could be, you know, one of the richest people in the world. You wouldn't know. Everyone is really chill. And speaking of beach bars, actually, that was one of my highlights of my trip was discovering a brand new beach bar. So this beach bar, actually, wait, before I tell you about that, I have a, I have two highlights, really, because one, which is kind yeah. of crazy, but I have to mention it because if you followed me on Instagram at Jet Set Sarah and you saw my stories, you know that I we stayed at the Four Seasons Anguilla, which is beautiful, um, on Meads Bay and Barnes Bay, so you have two beaches to yourself. Yeah. But we stayed at Four Seasons Anguilla and we weren't the only guests because even before, even before we got on the ferry, people were asking me, are you oh are you here for the wedding are you here for the wedding and i said no and then i realized after a while why people kept asking me about here for the weddings because it was a black couple who was getting married at the four seasons of anguilla and i was like no not just here for the wedding just black but anyhow the wedding was at the four seasons and i became obsessed with you know with seeing the bride and the groom because every morning I'd wake up and look out of my window and there'd be one more piece of wedding preparation that had been done. You know, there was a ceremony set up by one of the pools. There was a dance floor set up over the pool, over a second pool. You know, you could tell this was a really fancy wedding. There were probably about 100 people in house for the wedding, but I never knew who the bride or the groom was. And also they'd had a sort of social media blackout. So you couldn't, you couldn't even search to find out anything we on Instagram. We so I, yeah, so yes, yes, we were told yes, we no were photos, told. please. So I therefore of came, became obsessed <laughs> and was very excited to come back on the Saturday and actually see the bride who was gorgeous, walk down the aisle and she walked down the aisle too the dulcet tones of R&B singer Kenny Latimore, who had been flown in just for the occasion. And, you know, I don't know if you're a Gen Xer like Brian and I are, then you'll know that Kenny Latimore is this very good looking, smooth voiced guy, R&B singer from the 90s, early 2000s. He has a song called For You, which I bet everyone he was going to sing at the wedding. And he did. So Brian still owes me $10. Anyway, 
Never- you have to go back on my Instagram and look at it. Look in the highlights. But it was a beautiful wedding and well done, Four Seasons. And congratulations to the mystery bride and groom. Anywho, having said all of that, my second highlight, my second Anguilla highlight was actually going to this new beach bar called Leon's at Meads Bay. Now, I say new, but Leon's actually opened just before the pandemic. So February 2020. And because it, but because it wasn't in the bubble, an Anguilla uh, visitor bubble. So visitors, tourists who traveled between, to Anguilla between then and now didn't get to see it. But it also, the good thing was that it gave it a chance to develop a really robust local clientele. And so now almost two years later, you go to Leon's. Leon's is on Meads Bay. It actually belongs to Mali Ohana, which you may or may not know was Anguilla's first full service resort. It's about 20 something years old now, I think. Sort of ushered in the era of proper tourism in um, Anguilla. But so they started this restaurant, this beach bar restaurant called Leon's. It is fantastic. It is a quintessential beach bar. You know, you get there, you're on Meads Base, there's white sugary sand, and you've got these, my favorite color, yellow chaises and yellow beach umbrellas line the strip. They're seating on the sand. They're seating on the um, indoors undercover by the bar. Great menu. Uh, I went there for lunch. Uh, I had something, I started with what they call a sunny lemonade, which is basically a coconut rum spiked lemonade, which was delicious, highly recommend. But, and the food is all good. Um, We did a lot of ceviche and we did some fish tacos, but my favorite thing was we did a fish burger. And I don't just mean any old fish burger. First of all, of course, this was fresh caught local catch. But instead of having a regular sesame bun or whatever kind of bun, ciabatta bread bun, the fish sandwich was made, the bun was actually a bake, like a fried dumpling, a Johnny cake, uh, cut into and to be like the bread for the sandwich. And I mean, fried dough makes everything better. Everything's better with a Johnny cake. So I have to say, Leon, 10 out of 10. If you get back to Anguilla, make sure you go. Leon's at Meads Bay. You're not going to regret it. Tell them Sarah sent you. <laughs> well, you know, that's one of the great things about Anguilla and that Mali Ohana, the resort, it's wonderful restaurant, which you just described, is open to people who are not even staying at the resort. And that is typical of many of these great restaurants that are at the Four Seasons and then that are at Quintessence and some of the other uh, resorts in Zemi Beach at, uh, in Anguilla, which are all available to you to, if you're not staying there, to come by and to have a beautiful meal in a different setting. Um, there, there's all different types of places. So that was great. Um, that's great. Yeah, and I want to say that Sarah recognized Kenny Lattimore right away. I have never <laughs> heard of Kenny Lattimore. I'm disputing the $10. What? My wife, my wife knows <laughs> Kenny Lattimore, but I was like, don't know him. Kenny you who? Know, I told Marvin Gaye has nothing to worry about because, uh, you know, <laughs> but Kenny was good. Kenny was good. Uh, I'll give it to him. Kenny sang well and, and did his, his, <laughs> it was a beautiful wedding. We were, we were both clearly slightly obsessed. But moving on, we promised, we know we told you about Anguilla, we, we did think that we, it would be a good time since it's our last episode of the year to talk about the highlights of Caribbean travel in the last year, our own personal highlights and favorites, and also thought stories that we think are the biggest stories of uh, 2021 in Caribbean travel. And maybe I'm going to squeeze in a few predictions too, maybe, never know. But Brian, talk to me. What are you, what's one of your top stories for 2021 Caribbean travel? 
Well, I do have three, I guess. And uh, why don't we uh, start with cruise ships returning to the Caribbean? It was a difficult mm. return for cruise ships. The cruise industry seemed to have more, a, a few more hurdles than other segments of travel in the post-outbreak environment. And mm-hmm. it, the challenges included legislation both at home and then framework in Caribbean countries to ensure the health and safety of everyone involved. I think the biggest variable is that cruise ships go from place to place. So the first Caribbean cruise ports resumed operations in the summer of 2021, and they were Antigua, Barbuda, and Belize. Celebrity Cruises, Celebrity Equinox called in at the Antigua cruise port on August 19th. And Belize's Harpers Key port hosted Norwegian Gem on August 18th. These initial calls operated under local cruise protocols, mirroring a model that took place for cruise calls in and around the Caribbean as the weeks went by. The disembarkation of passengers was carefully managed to reduce the risk of spreading COVID-19, said Donna Regis Prosper of the Antigua and Barbuda, Barbuda Port Authority. We continue to maintain and enhance our COVID-19 risk mitigation protocols daily to ensure our facility is as safe as possible for every passenger on every voyage. Antigua and Barbuda's protocols require passengers over 12 to be vaccinated. Shore excursions and tours follow the government's established protocols and only operate as bubbles or, or small group tours. Now, this is pretty much the model for Caribbean cruising right now. Sarah has done a few cruises. I've not done a big ship cruise yet um, since the pandemic uh, returning to to the Caribbean. I should be on one in 2022. Uh, But uh, until that time, this is the model. The Turks and Caicos is another major cruise port that reopened this month in December after two years of post-pandemic inactivity. Earlier, government officials announced a $25 million agreement with Carnival for extension of a dock facility and improvement to the port's cruise reception terminal. Charles Washington Missick, the Turks and Caicos premier, says the island is also funding the acquisition of a property to be converted into a vendor's market, and $1.5 million has been allocated to refurbish and improve the property. He said the cruise industry employs 30% of Turks and Caicos residents and the territory's economy and tourism industry were, in his words, devastated by the pandemic. But smart decisions, including the move to restrict entry to vaccinated travelers over the age of 16, produced what he called better than anticipated, better than anticipated reopening of the tourism industry. You know, I mentioned this because this was pretty much the experience for Caribbean destinations throughout the region reopening the cruise. There were challenges, and as we've seen, there were, uh, there were some uh, instances of COVID-19 infection, but the protocols for the most part worked. The frameworks were created for Caribbean governments, and that happened. You know, it was good to see Caribbean cruising return. So that was one of the big highlights. Now, the pandemic also created a new class of Caribbean visitor, remote workers. Those programs expanded quickly across the region as lockdowns and office closures at home meant digital workers could be located virtually anywhere with an internet connection. Remote work programs waived regular visa restrictions that would normally bar extended residencies. 
Anguilla, Antigua and Barbuda, Aruba, Barbados, Bermuda, the Cayman Islands, Dominica, and Montserrat all launched formal programs to encourage pandemic-freed remote workers to continue their professions in paradise, like Caribbean settings. These, program, these programs enable destinations to maintain a level of tourism activity while also ensuring the health and safety of local communities. And the programs worked for a distinct segment of workers with digitally-based jobs and professional flexibility. It wasn't for everyone, but if you were in a, the right scenario, this was something you could do. And as Caribbean officials pointed out, the employees were high-value visitors. They contributed to the economies of levels beyond ordinary leisure visitors. They had childcare in many instances. They shopped locally. They bought food, <laughs> paid for utilities. Rented so, cars. Uh, rented cars. They contributed. Yeah, you know, I think it's really important. I mean, these obviously these remote programs were very popular, particularly in Barbados, right? Starting with their with their program. But I will say, people should also remember. You know, if you don't want. It generally, in general, when you're traveling to the Caribbean, if you're staying for less than 90 days, you don't even need a remote work visa. If you are working from, you know, you can go for up to 90 days and work at your old job. You're not taking a job from someone on the island. Work at your old job from your desk, wherever you're staying. You can do that. You don't even need to apply for these programs because you're staying for a short period of time and presumably won't need all the resources that people who are staying for six months to a year are. But just remember, you can you have, of course, those great reward program remote work program options but you can also just decide you know what let me spend the next five weeks in x island check the regulations and you probably can just do that without even having to go through the application process as long obviously as you've found somewhere to stay and you can support yourself while you're there and you're not taking a job from someone else but bear that in mind people great 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 point we have a friend who did that in jamaica who is a travel writer her name is cheryl nance nash and she did that there is no formal program in Jamaica, um, but she was there for under 90 days and was able to work remotely. She's a writer and, you know, what? what's to stop her? And she has been touring the island like she never did before. So great, great. Thing. Yeah, living like a local, right? There's nothing like it. I mean, you know, and Jamaica, <laughs> you know, there's something new to do in Jamaica almost every day. So if you if you want to, you know, um, be be remote in a place, it's it's a that's a great option. As as are many of those other places I I I mentioned. But what about Saint Lucia, Brian? Because I know that Saint Lucia has a special place in your heart. Saint Lucia really has a special place in my heart, and I'm laughing a little bit because one of the first times I went to Saint Lucia, I became car sick because it's 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 so hilly. We drove from the airport to our resort over. A lot of hills, and I don't normally get car sick, but I did. But I got over that, and uh, it's really been something special in my heart um, this past year. And my experience this year at the Coconut Bay, one of my trips this year was to the Coconut Bay Resort, an all-inclusive in Fort View, St. Lucia. And it reflected uh, some of the, the kind of the full circle for me of the, the pandemic and the outbreak and the post outbreak travel environment thus far. Um, it was one of the few trips that I was able to have my wife along with me. It coincided with our 24th wedding anniversary. So it was a great time to be away. And it was a great time to uh, reflect and uh, have some time not, <laughs> not 
on the job actively. She's a school teacher, so uh, there's a lot of work for her as well. It's you know, it's a it was a great time to relax. And uh, St. Lucia also figured prominently in our first year here of Complete Caribbean, because our very first Complete Caribbean guest was the St. Lucia Prime Minister, Alan Chastanet. And during yes. his segment, remember, right? Yeah, we started with a bang. It started with a bang. And at that time, Alan discussed in his own way, uh, with his great way, how the island's science-based approach to the pandemic among government and tourism officials balanced public health and safety with the need to rebuild tourism arrivals. This was our kind of our mantra for the rest of the year for tourism-reliant Caribbean destinations. What he talked about was kind of what we discussed with, with variances for each island, almost every issue. So Tanglusha had been among the first Caribbean destinations to reopen to travelers follow, in 2020 following the outbreak. The protocols were proven to work, and my visit to the country at the end of the year was sort of a testament to that reality. And I really thought it was a fitting way to end such, a, such an unusual year. Yeah, you know, that's the thing, as we've discussed before with travel, now when you're thinking about where you want to go in the Caribbean or anywhere in the world, you not only have to think about, you know, well, there's so many things to consider, but you not only have to think about, well, where do I want to go, but you also have to consider, where would I not be quarantined for, for two weeks, right? And it sounds like for you, St. Lucia is somewhere that if you, in the unlikely and and regrettable event that you had to quarantine, that you could be happy quarantining there. Absolutely. Well put, because yes, the answer to that is yes. I have that feeling about the Turks and Caicos Act, actually, which is, and I want to talk to you a bit about that as one of my travel highlights. Um, You know, I've been to the Turks and Caicos Islands many times, and this year I actually ended up going twice. The second trip was in April, and um, this was for a big feature about not Provo so much, which is the main tourist island, but two of the other Caicos Islands, North Caicos and Middle Caicos. I'm not sure if our listeners know, but it's a 25-minute ferry ride, very easy from Provo, 25 minutes over to North Caicos. And there where most people usually do a day trip. When you get to North Caicos, you're met by, you are met at the dock by the rental car company. They give you a rental car, you drive, you discover all of North Caicos, and then you take a causeway which goes over from North Caicos to Middle Caicos, which is the last island in that particular chain. So they're joined to each other. Anyway, point being, I had actually done this as a day trip before and really enjoyed it because it is like, I'll I'll talk about it some more in a second, but it is like a different world from Provo. North and Middle Caicos make Provo seem like this bustling metropolis. They make Provo seem like Vegas because they're really, really, yeah, yeah, exactly. Really, really quiet. Um, But um, this time I had a chance to actually spend, I think, four nights on North and Middle. So I really got into the vibe of what it's like not to be on Provo, but to be somewhere on a different Turks and Caicos island. And I I have to say, I've come back a serious fan. So North, you know, the pace is slower on North and Middle Caicos. The beaches are beautiful. They're largely deserted. North Caicos only has... 1400 people and like i said it's only 25 minutes 12 miles from provo but it really feels like you are a world apart there's no banks it's only 41 square miles there's only one hotel there's a couple dozen rental cars it's like discovering the caribbean from 
I don't know, 40 years ago. And basically, you have all the things that you would go to Provo for, minus shopping and minus gambling, you will find on North and Middle, and you'll find them with fewer crowds, not that Provo is particularly crowded, but fewer people. And also, you'll find it to be much cheaper, less choice, but much cheaper. And in fact, it's low. It's Northern Middle Caicos is sort of low key island charm that's attracting a lot of people, a lot of retirees, a lot of people who might have wanted to do a second home in Provo and now finding Provo a too expensive or b too busy are looking at North and Middle Caicos. There's land there. Um, land is basically half the price that it is in Provo. So if you bail somewhere on North or Middle, invite me, <laughs> do it and invite me because I think that's the next North and Middle are the next Provos, but in the best way. Now is the time to go. I just, you know, there are tons of little beach bars, um, horse table beach, beautiful beach. I went there twice, not a single soul on the beach. Um, my favorite beach, as you recall, I was talking to Stacy Cox from the uh, Turks and Caicos Hotel and Tourism Association last episode. I was telling her I discovered this beach on Middle Caicos, which I told you is the furthest one. It's at the end of Middle Caicos. It's called Wild Cow Run. It is the most stunning beach I've seen in my entire life. And I've seen a lot of Caribbean beaches. And guess what? Again, I was the only person on it. So I have to say, North and, North and Middle Caicos and the Turks and Caicos Islands, if you have not been, please do yourself a favor and go because you're going to love it. That sounds wonderful. I mean, again, Stacey's an insider, as we were talking. She had not heard of this. So she recognized yeah. that. You know, it's so wonderful when you go to these little destinations, these little smaller parts of the Caribbean that are that are almost, you know, that are so hidden. It is the Caribbean experience that you remember from that I remember hearing about from childhood. And it's in our imagination of a small Caribbean island where it's uh, just idyllic. Yeah, idyllic. That's that is the perfect word. That is a perfect word. So, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is something that I was wrong about, actually, and then I want to make some predictions about it. So I was one of those people who early in the pandemic thought I would probably never cruise again. Honestly, like a lot of people, I was really discouraged and disturbed by those pictures that we saw at the beginning of the pandemic about, you know, on, on outbreaks on board ships and footage of passengers being stranded at sea or taken off on stretchers. And I thought, no, no, I'm probably never going to cruise again. But guess what? In an unusual turn of events, an interesting turn of events, I actually ended up doing five ocean cruises and one European river cruise this year. And I have to say, I've lived to tell the tale and I would do it again, uh, mostly because five of those six trips were on small ships, that sailed at reduced capacity. And I predict that that's what we're going to see more of in terms of cruising in 2022. And Brian, you can tell me what you think about this later on. Well, you know, my first trip was in the spring and it was on Windstar's Star Breeze. And that was a 312 passenger ship, but it only sailed out with 134 people. And when we went to all the islands that we went to, we were tested rigorously before we got there, according to those islands protocols. So we had onboard testing, we had onboard PCR and rapid tests before we went into any port. When we went, we did bubble excursions. Uh, so we we didn't really mix with, unfortunately, but fortunately for their health, we didn't mix with people closely who were on the other islands we kept to ourselves and of course everyone on board had to be vaccinated and we had to wear masks on board 
um, the largest of the, of the small to medium ships that I went on was Crystal Cruises Crystal Serenity. And that was a 500 passenger ship that sailed with about 400 people. And, and it was on a brand new All Bahamas um, itinerary. You'll remember that Brian earlier in the show talks about the fact that cruising really didn't start again properly out of US ports until August of this year. And so before that, cruise lines were, you know, the workaround was they were home porting in cruise in other Caribbean destinations. And one of the workarounds that they came up with is with these Bahamas cruises that started in Nassau and then only went to the out islands of the Bahamas. So that's what I did on Crystal Serenity and really enjoyed it and found myself, honestly, I live in Florida where, you know, we've had our issues with COVID numbers and COVID protocols. And honestly, I will say that I went from being someone who thought, oh, I'm probably never going to cruise again for a long time to actually feeling at times safer on the cruise ship than I did, that I do at home here in Miami, in Florida. Honestly, um, even when I went, I told you that I did, it wasn't Caribbean, but I did a river cruise and that was the smallest ship ever. That was a 156 passenger ship, or I don't know, do you call them boats, but a ship maybe, and that only had a hundred passengers on board. And again, I felt like this is a way, small ship cruising is going to be a wave of the future because this is a way for people to get the cruising experience, to enjoy a lot of the amenities that you have on slightly light, larger ships, but to share it with fewer people and therefore minimize your risk of getting, spreading uh, COVID. I do think, um, I'm not saying that the larger, the mega ships won't bounce back, bounce back because of course they will. There's always going to be a market for people who want all the bells and whistles of a ship that can take four or 5,000 people. It's not for me right now. I know it will be for a lot of people. And I know that the cruise lines, as Brian said, Brian used to be talking about the fact that they were held to a very high standard, higher than hotels are, higher than any other sort of tourism businesses is um, held to. So it's in their interest to keep everyone safe. So I know people will slowly trickle back to large ship cruising, but I do think that we're going to see that first rebound, that first bounce back in the smaller ships to medium-sized ships. So I would say ships that take 500 and fewer passengers my big prediction for 2022 is that that will be their moment to shine. They're going to get a lot of passengers next year. Hey, I have to agree with you. I, I think that is really the way the industries, some of the industries, that's where some of the industries growth is going to come from. The uh, that ex- exclusivity that that class of voice mm-hmm. provides right now is part of what is the new luxury and let me tell you, the River Cruise segment yes. was already becoming a force within the overall cruise business that already been expanding significantly. I think this will, this will give it even more of a boost. Um, there are American River Cruises now, and an expanding American River Cruise ship company, the um, American uh, Voyages, which uh, American Queen Voyages, which is... Um, picking up on this trend. So yes, I have to agree that that's going to happen. Um, hey, the big ships, people go on big ships because uh, they want to go on them. There are a lot of people who are going to be going on the big ships. They like that kind of vacation. Something like 50% of the people who go on the big on cruises go on the big ships. They, they're returning. So those people right. wouldn't be going if they didn't like cruising. They like cruising and they enjoy it. As Sarah says, with the protocols in place, that's going to be the important thing. And sailing at reduced capacities, cruising is back so it's good to see 
So do you have any predictions for 2022, Brian? I'm sure you do. Well, give me a best one. Yeah, I do. In a way, you know, I I'm taking that same message that you're, which I again agree with, of exclusivity of a smaller version to the land based side. Ironically, um, mm-hmm. I I want to say that most of the resorts and high end uh, properties that we talk to now have hotel within a hotel sections it's mm. exclusive yes. parts of the resort that that provide that extra layer of you don't really have to interact with anyone if you don't want to at these uh, mm-hmm. tremendous uh, uh little uh, reserves within these properties they were already becoming popular before the pandemic they're going to be more so as times go on you can have a larger resort with a still with a degree of exclusivity and separation if you require it and then we're already seeing where villas and some of the resorts that we visited at Anguilla maybe a 300 room at, at, at largest or 100 room at largest property somewhere in between that that scale or maybe even smaller we we visited a I think a 12 room eight room property when we were in Quintessence so Quintessence uh, I think it's nine rooms nine rooms yes and they encourage and I nine rooms and they encourage that quintessence complete buyouts this is a win for the agents this is a win for the people who are staying at the resort who can have their own group they can split the cost of now quintessence is an expensive resort but they if they're willing and their groups they can split the cost a group of friends traveling together and have a exclusive isolated vacation with all the amenities that you want from travel but that extra layer of safety and protection, knowing that you are exposed to fewer people and exposing yourself to fewer people. It is now part yes, of Yes, that's a good point, right? Because it's not just about the traveler's health. Absolutely. It's about protecting the health of the people in the destinations you travel to, as we've been talking about all year. All year long, we've talked about this. And hey, if you've looked at the to even today's events, I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm starting to think maybe I shouldn't listen to CNN before I do a complete <laughs> podcast because I'm, I'm hearing all that. I'm like, oh boy. So, <laughs> you know, this is part of our world now. If you're going to travel for the foreseeable future, this is part of the equation. So um, it's going to reflect in our choices. But, you know, we do hope that you continue to travel safely, as safely as you can. Obviously, at this time, with Omicron surging, probably not the best time to travel unless it's essential travel. Um, But, you know, I think the most important thing that Brian and I want to get across to you today and in our previous 17 episodes and 17 more to come it's just to have to travel responsibly and to travel with respect and to travel as safely as possible, protecting not only your health, but the health of the people in the destination that you're traveling to. Because after all, there are people are risking their lives, really. And their livelihood is to make you have a great vacation. And so we have to appreciate that. We have to be discerning. We have to think about being responsible and respectful as we travel and really just appreciating the beauty of the Caribbean, which isn't just its natural beauty. It's not just its topography. It's not just its food. It's not just its music. It's not just the rum punch, but the essence of the Caribbean is the people. And so we both encourage you uh, in 2022 to get back to the Caribbean when you feel it's safe to do so and to meet some Caribbean people 
And you, you don't even have to travel. Just look around in your town. Anybody Caribbean? Go talk to them. <laughs> They'll yeah, tell you yeah, why you should go. That. And uh, when you travel yes. the way Sarah mentioned, you're going to be like her and I. You're going to have fun everywhere you go. You, we travel respectfully and we have a good time everywhere we go, every time we go, including this most yeah. last. Luckily, we got to end the year together. So thank you, co-host. We I did. Had a wonderful yes. year with you. Oh. Brian, it was great. It was great doing these 17 episodes. We're going to do many more next year. Um, you know, and guys, we just want to say thank you so much for tuning in to Caribbean, Complete Caribbean Podcast. Thanks for taking a chance on us this year. We've really enjoyed bringing the Caribbean to you. And we hope that you will get yourself to the Caribbean in 2022. But for now, we'll wish you happy holidays and happy new year from Sarah and, and Brian. Enjoy, everyone. Take care, everyone. We'll talk to you in 2022.